All who are able are invited to stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. And then Jesus looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. I was the pastor of a church one time when vision statements were all the rage. At every church had to form a committee and hammer out a vision statement and a mission statement, uh, 10 year goals, I mean, all that stuff, right? And then we had to have meetings about these orienting statements. And afterward, we had to have more meetings to talk about the meetings we just had. And then to have more meetings about the meetings that we were going to have to have to get these things done. And at some point, it, 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 it sort of felt like we were going to come up with a vision statement that said something like, this is a congregation that cares not only about love, mercy, justice, and peace. We put our money where our mouth is. We're a congregation that has meetings to talk about how much we care about talking about love, mercy, justice, and peace. And look, believe me, when I say that it wasn't other people just sort of forcing this whole process on me, I was, a, I was probably the biggest cheerleader at that point. I mean, I was convinced that I had no more considerable vocational responsibility than producing a statement that we could put in literature for prospective new members, and I didn't care how many meetings it took to get it done. Now, and I have to be clear that I, I think actually having an articulable vision is really crucial to a congregation. A common understanding about who we are, about what we care about, why we care about it, all of those things are essential for a congregation to own. As my old friend Stephen Johns Burma used to say, if you don't know where you're going, even an ill wind will take you there. But see, the problem with most vision statements is the extent to which they become vague approximations or, or 
unfocused wish fulfillment statements of what a vision is. I mean, these statements are often peppered with corporate speak about maximizing utility and targeting divergent constituencies and leveraging our brand to offer authentic experiences of industry standard deliverables that achieve maximum impact when we finally wind up telling people that Jesus is, you know, nice. Now, too often, summing up what a company or a congregation are about, I mean, that is to say what's at the soul, at the very heart of everything, is an exercise in too often in saying dumb stuff that sounds vaguely smart but leaves everybody else scratching their heads about what it all is supposed to actually mean. But as I say, knowing what you're about is really essential to doing good work. I mean, you got no argument for me there. And being able to talk about it is also crucial. I mean, it's not just the person out front, but I mean, everybody else involved too. For a congregation's vision to mean anything, whether you have a formal statement or not, the members have to feel it in their bones. The folks in the pews have to embrace the vision. So anyway, we came up with a vision statement at that church that went something like, our first priority is to equip disciples for the kingdom of God. Which isn't an awful place to start, really, you know? But after all those meetings and meetings about meetings and wordsmithing and jargon editing, when we unveiled it to the congregation, the question we got from a very vocal group was, hey, what gives you the right to say this is who we are? How come we weren't invited to the meetings? And I said, well, as it turns out, you were invited. You just chose not to be a part of the process, either because you weren't paying attention or because you couldn't be bothered to put in the work. But there you go. Now, what was said next can be distilled into some version of, well, just because we didn't want to be part of the process doesn't mean we shouldn't have the right to veto stuff we don't like. I I said, well, okay, um, what, what about it don't you like? Well, I mean, it's not that. I mean, as far as it goes, it's fine. It's, our problem is that we want to have the final say over the shape of the work that we do. Now, after all these years, I, I actually, I can understand that feeling that people want not only a focused understanding of the work, that, but a say in whether the work is something that they want to be a part of. That's not outrageous. I mean, if you're going to sign on to something, it's reasonable to want a pretty solid idea of what it is that you're getting yourself into. Wanting to know what we signed up for is precisely where we find the disciples this morning. Now, you may say, wait, what? Our gospel this morning did not say anything about disciples at all. So what... What are you talking about? See, it's a good question. I swear I cannot slip anything past y'all. If you look at what comes right before the text this morning in your Bibles, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, the blue book's in the back of your pews. 
It is Luke 6, 17 through 26. If you look at right at what comes right before our text this morning, you'll see that Jesus had gone up on a mountain to pray. And when day came, he called his disciples together and chose 12 of them to be apostles. This is where Luke names the 12, right before our gospel this morning. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, all down the line. This is where Jesus names them. So just so we're clear, Jesus calls the 12 apostles from among all the disciples to be his sort of inner circle, the guys, and I say guys not generically but descriptively, that is, it was, you know, actually guys, the guys who are going to wander around Galilee, Samaria, and Judea with him, Jesus chooses them. He, these are the folks who are going to be helping him do whatever he's going to do. The twelve who will be there when he finally gets to Jerusalem and the political heat starts to rise. Our text this morning is the very first thing he says to these apostles after they've been chosen as the ones with whom uh, Jesus will be heading toward Jerusalem and amongst whom he will be announcing the coming of the reign of God. I mean, it's kind of a big deal. It's a good time to unveil the corporate vision statement, right? What's he going to say as he addresses his first words to the new executive committee? Now, this is not unlike another passage that we've been talking about recently. You remember just a couple chapters back in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, after his baptism, led by the Spirit out into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days, remember that? And then having rested up from his time in the wilderness, Jesus came back to Galilee, specifically back to his hometown, Nazareth, where he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up and read from the Isaiah scroll. Remember that? Kind of a big deal, because when he took to the, the, to the scroll, when he took it to read it, these would be the first words in Luke's gospel that he uttered in public at the inauguration of his ministry. These words he spoke in the synagogue on that first day of his ministry would give everybody a clue about what he thought his ministry was going to be about. What the shape of the world he was talking about would look like. And you remember what he said? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he closed out with the rather infamous phrase, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus kicked off his ministry with a healing word for all those vulnerable members of the world who to that point had really not had anybody to speak a good word for them and had not had anyone really to fight for them. But Jesus, he hits the ground running, articulating just what that vision was from the very first. 
And it shouldn't escape us that he understood himself to be a liberator of the oppressed. That's how he starts the whole thing out. First words count. Now, we got a similar situation in our gospel for this morning. Jesus has identified the people he wants to be by his side as he sets out to bring the good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. And these are the first words he says to his new A-team. So listen to our, pa- our passage for this morning again. This time, listening for Jesus announcing his vision of what this new reign he's announcing is going to look like. What the shape this new realm he lifts up will take. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you will have received your consolation. And woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when people speak well of you, for all people speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Now there's not a whole lot of subtlety in those words. Really, is there? (laughs) He just sort of lays it right out there. It was not like in Matthew, who at least had the good manners to have Jesus make the blessings in the third person. Back in the Beatitudes, you remember those? Moreover, Matthew seems to sort of gussy up Jesus' words just a little bit, makes them a little more spiritual, a little less here and now. I can just give people uh, some distance, you know, not have it sort of hitting them right in the face. Matthew has Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. But see, not Luke. Luke's Jesus doesn't speak about some hypothetical person somewhere else. Blessed are, you know, these folks. And he doesn't take the gritty edge off of it by spiritualizing it. Luke's Jesus looks people right in the eye. And he says, not blessed are the poor in spirit, but blessed are you who are poor. I mean, you see the difference there, right? Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Matthew says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled, those people. Jesus in Luke says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Matthew, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. In Luke, Jesus says, blessed are you who weep right now, for you will laugh. You, immediate, present, now, not later, not in the sweet by and by, right now, you. And then Luke has Jesus do something that Matthew's Jesus doesn't in this particular sermon. Luke adds a second list. He starts calling down the woes. Now, woe sounds pretty formal, doesn't it? Like we're in some kind of medieval night movie or something. Like a a, a, a polite form of disapproval. 
and ancient Near Eastern sort of tut tut. But it turns out that the word Luke has Jesus say here isn't polite at all. <laughs> According to Luke Timothy Johnson, it's an expletive associated with the prophets of the Hebrew scriptures. It's a word that expresses disfavor or calamity, either described or desired. Kind of a pretty stark. And it's a complete inversion of the blessings. The, 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 the flip side of the blessings that he's just named. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. Now remember, Jesus is looking right at people when he's saying these things. He's not at some comfortable remove, insulated from either the pain he sees or the scorn that's directed back at him. He's not camped out on some Facebook thread trolling people anonymously from afar. He's talking about this new realm and what it will look like right in front of God and everyone because he believes that these are the people who are going to be the ones who witness its coming. There's a sense of urgency about this. See, that's the thing. Jesus expects that what he's talking about is a new world. And in this new world, those whose bellies feel that all too familiar gnawing, who weep and who experience the disdain of an old world that just would just as soon put up a wall to keep them out, they will finally get to have someone who cares about them first. I mean, that's what this looks like. That's the shape of this new realm, where all the ways the world has always worked, where the well-off and the powerful get all the advantages, while the poor and the powerless have to settle for whatever's left over. That's how this new world will turn the old one on its head. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't say, as he unveils this state vision statement about the reign of God, he doesn't say, I'm announcing a realm where everybody who gets their theology right, who demonstrates a sufficient level of personal piety, and who manages to muster up the appropriate level of faith in me, will get a comfy split level with walk-in closets and an in-ground pool in the hereafter. No, he says, the realm I'm envisioning, the, the, the shape of the kingdom I'm announcing is going to feel like bizarro world. A world where the hungry will finally be filled. Where the poor will no longer be left to fight over the scraps left by those who want for nothing. Where the dispirited and the brokenhearted will not have to languish on the margins forgotten. A world where the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And Jesus says, I'm, I, I'm talking about a cosmic rebalancing of the scales. Where those who've had to hide who they are and whom they love, they'll be welcomed, celebrated. Where parents will no longer have to fear their children being stopped by the police just because they happen to have skin with a different color or because they worship in a different way. 
where strangers and immigrants won't have to endure the spite of the home team and their children won't be ripped from their arms and thrown into cages. Where women will no longer have to be afraid that their gender will put them at greater risk for violence and exploitation. And where the people in power will no longer acquire and maintain that power on the backs of the poor and the voiceless. And all of this, Jesus says, isn't merely a hope for some world out there in the future after you die. The vision I'm setting down is first of all for you and for this world right now. Right here. There will be those who have a stake in keeping the world as it is. We're going to find Jesus' vision statement alarming. Wishing it was perhaps vaguer, more open to a broader interpretation. But if you're one of the people who felt the scales unfairly balanced against you, if you're one of the people who are sure that they've been forgotten, if you're one of the people who always seems to be looking up at everybody else in the shape of this new kingdom, it may very well sound like the best news that ever was. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate the podcast on iTunes, retweet the link, or just tell your friends. Godspeed until next time on the Douglas Boulevard Christian Church Podcast.